All right, everybody, let's get started, okay? Martin Bidney, who has graciously agreed to do this for us today, taught at BU for 35 years and has so far made his 17 years of retirement into a retooling, publishing 35 books of original and translated verse. Typically, Martin likes to, quote, interview in talk show format the speaker of the text whom he chooses to be his mentor friend. To every selection he transcribes or translates, he responds with a reply poem of his own. Today, he will sample three books where he has interviewed three thinkers respectively from Jewish, Christian, and Islamic religions. Martin calls himself not a believer, but a belover, and he's looking for unities within Judeo-Christo-Islamic traditions and elsewhere. He likes particularly to choose mystic writers to dialogue with, for they are distinguished by depth of introspection and scope of cosmic awareness. They love what Martin calls the boundless and the beating heart. Martin, thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay, well that was your introduction. Let's, we can get to the readings right away. I have brought three books with me, Jewish, Christian, and Islamic. This is the first one, it is called Word Songs of Jewish Thought, 108 Tanya Response Poems, Lyrical Replies to Passages in a Classic Work of Kabbalah, that is Hasidism, Jewish Mysticism, with a definitive commentary by the world's foremost authority on the work, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. What Mr. Steinsaltz did, and unfortunately he, he died a few months ago, I have dedicated this book to his memory, is he wrote a three-volume commentary on this book called the Tanya that was written in the 18th century as a kind of Hasidic uh, spiritual manual. And the wonderful thing about Steinsatz was that he, he's a world-class storyteller. So let's start. Always I begin with a paragraph from him and then I answer. That's the interview uh, approach I, that was discussed. The Talmud relates, that's what this is called. The Talmud relates that Rabbi Baraka was standing in the marketplace and Elijah the prophet was standing next to him. Rabbi Baraka asked Elijah, is there anyone here who is worthy of the world to come? Elijah answered, no. Uh, as they spoke, the two men entered the marketplace and Elijah said that those two were worthy. Rabbi Baroka ran after them and asked what their profession was. They told him that they were comedians, whose job was to cheer the downhearted. And this is what made them worthy of the world to come. You can see how that would set me off. It's a lot of fun to imagine that. Comedians merit a heavenly station. I'd never dispute it, but rather applaud. We relish the jest, and we love jubilation, and jokes are at home the courtyard of God. Each cedar and palm, leaves appealingly waving, would seem to be smiling. The seniors are young. 
with suitable humor, the guests are behaving. Superb and euterple, the verse-maker's tongue. Komoidea, Greek, meant a singer at revels, and a joy has been sown for the upright in heart. And angels are grander at laughing than devils, and jokes free from yokes, all the childlike in art. Then never be hesitant verses to fashion that sing with a wit and a wisdom to boot. Let laughter be ample and avid, a passion for truth to express primal paradise fruit. You can see how I could come to like this guy. He's got happy brain chemicals, just as I do. And he's got a lot of energy, which is going to come through in the next poem. We find the soul. We find the soul repeatedly described as the breath of God. Indeed, one Hebrew word for soul, nishama, comes from the same root as nishima, breath. In its account of the creation of man, the Torah tells of how God breathed in his nostrils a breath of life, nishmat chayim. A similar expression is found in the daily morning prayers, in which we say, and you have breathed my soul into me. As the Zohar points out, nefiha, breathing into, used in both these citations, implies a most forceful expulsion of air in which a person expends his innermost reserves of life-sustaining breath. The expressing of air is with power infused that from depth is expelled with exemplary force, which will indicate clearly it is meant to be used on alert and assertive strong energy course. We are confident taught by the strength of the breath, for with diffidence vital impulsions removed. And the purpose of life in its conquest of death will by resolute energy ever be proved. And the meaning of confidence ought to be stressed. It is faith, hope, and trust in the will that impels we consider with heaven gaze what is the best that the feeling with source in our origin tells. Let our efforts come forth from our inmost reserve, and in striving desire show the way we were made. Let the upright from road of the mindful not swerve, neither hoard nor withdraw, but our soul wealth unlaid. This is about wisdom. Hebrew word for wisdom is chokhmah. I happen to use it because he did. It is told of certain great individuals that they would experience a vision that began in a dream, in the middle of which they woke up and the vision continued while they were awake. Most of the prophets received their prophecy that way. The prophet would enter a state that is beyond consciousness from which he would slide to the conscious reception of prophecy. Prophecy is a certain degree of consciousness, but one that cannot be attained in the ordinary state of being. If to Chochmah you'd go, that some verse might awake, leave the selfhood behind and receptiveness take. 
On the border where thought touches non-thought, you'll be, and on threshold may sense light prophetic to see. By the endless be given a poem to hear, if you've wholly surrendered all hope and all fear, and no thought of reward or of punishment keep, but are strangely alert in a vigilant sleep. Think of nothing, be nothing, for things disabuse. Yet be welcoming, ready, no wisdom refuse. Understanding and knowledge he'll grant when he will. Once you're done with distracting obstruction, lie still. When preparing for sleep, I three quatrains composed, and the fourth one had come to me after I dozed. For the time in the center I entered, and then heard the wisdom return, and would learn it again. You notice I give these interpretations a bit of a twist, uh, uh, influenced by my own uh, nature and mission. Uh, basically, the goal of these religious teachers is, more often than not, to teach you to be good. But what I'm interested in is how to be a good poet. Oh, this is a wonderful, wonderful situation. Let's see what we'll do. We're doing fine. It is told of the author of Tanya that he would stand in meditation and declare before God, I do not want your Garden of Eden. I do not want your world to come. I only want you. There is a level on which a person attains a lofty state and desires to delight in God, so he is given the chance to delight in God. But higher than this is the level in which a person desires nothing. He waves even the pleasure that is found in the love of God and wants only, quote, to be drawn into the body of the king, to negate himself completely within God. To think that poets, mid the pious, might be reckoned, I'm ready to be led where wisdom will have beckoned, Poetic thinking must reveal that metaphor is in remote beyond the most we can adore. The essence of what turned the nothing into being is far beyond the most advanced prophetic seeing. Where's up in Newton's heaven? Primitivity is all we children of the visible can see. An Eden garden with its famous wormy apple Another theme with which it worries me to grapple, who pictures permanent and perfect paradise, will boredom find invade the landscapes that entice. Promotional, post-mortal promises of pleasure can scarce deliver such a metaphoric treasure as we achieve who in our emulative lines may rival Moses' own and David's rare design. I really had fun writing that. And you know one of the most interesting things about it is the more I study in these three traditions, the more overlap I find. In Islam, there was a, a woman teacher, believe it or not, this is a woman. She died in the year 801, and already she is venerated in Islam as much as Mary ever was in Christianity. And she likewise said that uh, she uh, tried, she didn't care about Garden of Eden or any rewards. She said, I prayed that, uh, uh, 
that I might um, escape hell. And uh, I, I felt my skin burning. And then I simply prayed that I might get to heaven. And I saw the, the door slam in my face. So what did she do? She went around. She, she got a, uh, a bucket of water and a torch. She was a PR person, I tell you, like no, no one I've ever read about. She walked to the streets of Basra, her hometown, with a torch in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. And when people asked her, what do you think you're doing? She said, I intend to drown hell and to burn up heaven because you should love God for the beauty of his nature alone and for no other reason. Oh, this is, I, I keep coming to poems where I want to say, oh, this is my favorite. You know, I only have one daughter, but I always used to call her favorite kid. I figure the fact that there's one shouldn't stop you from calling her your favorite kid. Uh, this poem begins, oh yes, oh, let, let's just start. A great man once said that in the verse, I know that God is great. The word I should be understood as the emphasis. I alone know how great God is to me. Only I know and nobody else can. Not that I'm greater or lesser than anyone else, just that I am different. And because I am different, I alone know my own individual recognition of God's greatness. The world that we live in is constantly changing. And so let our thinking be swift and wide-ranging. Two showings of God will be never the same. The first from the second must differ in name. Our knowings of him are like waves in a river that mirror the varying names of the giver. So languidness, apathy, mean that you miss disclosures of God that are minutes of bliss. If moment to moment from me I must vary, Equating two people is an error. Be wary. Innumerable the perceptions of height. Their taste not the same, thus the varied delight. Created for never expressible vision, I'm grateful to claim the Creator's decision to mirror my trust as I mirror His will, surrendering heart to what He can instill. Uh, is it about 10 minutes? What, another one? Yeah, one, more. one more. He's using, my, my guy George is using liberal time limits here. Oh, this is a lot of fun. The author's grandson, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, uh, known as the Tzemach Tzedek, told the story of a wagon driver who performed a great mitzvah, that is a great good deed, and saved a person's life. When this man died, the heavenly court did not know how to reward him. He had performed a great mitzvah, but being a boor and a very coarse man, he would not be able to appreciate the spiritual pleasures of the Garden of Eden as religious professionals do. So they decided to ask him what he would like. He asked for a new wagon with six mighty horses. 
To this day, he drives that wagon with its six horses along a straight, smooth road to infinity. The delight of our children is real as can be, and the bliss of the driver more real than the sky which he's breathing. Tis infinite. Blessed then he that in moment's disclosure brings low to the high. We afflatus won't measure with quantity gauge, for the qualia sing when the quanta go mute. Breathing sky is the ardor of maiden and mage. Be alive, and you taste it as heavenly fruit. Straight, smooth road to infinity. Who could attain a more perfect portrayal of how we can feel who are pilgrims that rapid and canorous gain all the rapture of answer to travel appeal? When Elijah rose up in a flame to the height, was the loftiest, was the loftiness greater than his that we view in the driver with steeds of exemplary might who ascends to the heaven? They're one and not two. Thank you. Ten minute break. Hebrew tradition first and then Christian and then Islamic in uh, chronological order. Exactly right. <laughs> I remember that when I was in grade school, Life Magazine ran an article called, or a series of articles, a picture, very beautifully formatted. The whole thing was called the, the Great Religions of the World, and there were seven of them, according to the Time editors, and Christianity was the last. And I wondered, now, why was Christianity the last? A lot of times people think you remember best what came last, or, or was it supposed to be something very special about uh, so what we're doing is chronological involving no value judgment. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are now proceeding to the second part of this short presentation. Uh, this time I take the material from what I call Book of the Dactyl. I had originally started it to illustrate a particular verse, verse form, namely uh, three-syllable rhythm units. La, 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 la. One and a two and a three and a four and a five and a six and one and a two and a three, four and a five and a six. And I do write 420 poems in that form. So the book accomplished its purpose. Uh, but what I didn't know was that, that uh, uh, around uh, poem number 152, I was going to encounter a poet so useful to talk to in my interview format that I couldn't stop and he takes up the whole rest of the book. So I had to try a bit to make, uh, to, to, uh, make choices for today. Uh, now, the name of this man, uh, his name uh, when he was born was uh, uh, John Scheffler, Johannes Scheffler. He's a German, but he was raised Lutheran and then converted to Catholicism, and he, he needed a new baptismal name, so he chose one that would be Latin. He chose the name, uh, I'll pronounce it in an English, American way, Angelus Silesius. That means the Silesian angel, and you may be aware that Silesia is a province in Germany. Uh, and he wrote a very big book, wonderful book, called Cherubinischer uh, Wandersmann, which I translate as Cherub Companion. I'll be your guardian angel and go with you, and you just put this book in your pocket and head out on your hike. Well, so Angelus has a very unusual style. 
his uh, particular predilection is for writing his mystical poems in two-liners. That's very unusual. Generally, the two-line form is for epigrams, jokes, and little witty cracks of one kind or another. Uh, Alexander wrote, uh, Alexander Pope in the 18th century, wrote a dog collar two-liner. It's designed to be written on a dog collar, and it, and it goes like this. I am his highness's dog at Kew. Pray tell me, sir, whose dog are you? <laughs> so uh, that's the more traditional way. But he writes, he, he is sometimes very clever and witty, and he loves to stress incongruities. And this gives a touch of humor to many of the things he says. But definitely, it's mystical religious poetry. Now, it happens, the first one I'm going to start with is um, a, mm, not typical. He's really feeling wordy today. He wrote four lines. It's called, God Alone Can Satisfy. I'm translating everything in here from German. Away, you seraphim, you can't give life to me. Away, you angels all, and what on you I see. Of such I have no need. I'll be by self alone in uncreated sea of purest Godhead throne. Ocean unending, my heart, when alone, had to you become nearer. Those who would mediate, act wisely for ones who inquire. Yet is your love in my soul the supreme, the perduring endearer. Come from the deep when I call, speaking reply to desire. You are the ocean, and I, with your aid, am a fountain upthrusting, kindred by power of will, rising in dower from you. Avid and grand for the anthemer, summer calm, solemner, that trusting, hymning within to be heard, answer will come to renew. Now this is, this I like. It's called, A Christian Riches God. And here's his poem, his two-liner. See, the two-liners are so packed, I need a whole page each time to explain it or comment. I am as rich as God. No speck of dust can be, which we, believe me, friend, aren't sharing equally. What is the dust that we came from and where we may shortly be going? Part of the love of the Lord. Who would a body assume? He, the unmanifest, thought that a treasure ought never stay buried. That's why he made it so forth, motive of life to illume. God, so the Sufis have taught, is a lover who longing imagined, while in the midst of a sigh, body beloved would take. Stretch to the depth and the height you're imagining, poet, as he did. Love is an uttermost dark, just as in rising to wake. Casting of worm that to earth will fertility grant and our farming, filled with the strength of the field, generous giver is he. Lightning and storm that are death resurrection, a sign and a wonder, bring which to lyrical breath ever his body will be. All he imagined he owns, 
and must, loving it, hope for an answer. How will you, chanter, comply, emulate, poet the first, particle dust, or an atom of blood, or the sunrise bright blinding, you that imagine, possess. Grant him your gratitude, versed. Now that's... <laughs> It's interesting, I, thought, I talked about the casting of worms that grant the earth fertility. I, I learned about that in an essay of, by Charles Darwin about worms. He says people um, uh, bow their head to pray in, in thanks to God for giving them what they need in life. But while you're looking downward, you might give thanks to the worm without the, the excretions of which we would not have any farmland that we could plow for crops. That was Darwin's con contribution to this poem. I, I actually thought of that as I was uh, writing this. And also, God, so the Sufis have taught, is a lover who longing imagined, while in the midst of a sigh, body beloved would take. That's what the, the mystical uh, Muslims called Sufis teach. Uh, Ibn Arabi in particular taught that God should be imagined as King Solomon, and we are his Sulamis, Shulamit, uh, his, uh, his beloved. And the Quran is a giant love letter from God to us. It should be explained, according to Ibn Arabi, the reason that the universe was created is that God was lonely. And just like a melancholy, lonely, despairing lover, he sighed a very great melancholy sigh. But because he is the all-imaginer, it was a poetical sigh capable of bringing into being what it imagined. And since then he's been, since we are his beloveds, he's listening for answers. I didn't mean to talk so much about that poem, but you see, they're all interrelated, all of these traditions. Oh, now this is very remarkable. It's called the Over-Godhead. It satisfies me not what folk of God would tell, the over-Godhead is my life and life as well. That is, the God beyond all names. Mystics think that uh, the, uh, that ultimate being is not nameable. It's not knowable by, by finite minds with finite languages. And therefore, uh, the mystics teach that uh, all language is metaphorical. It's nothing but metaphors because we can't ever just describe the real thing because we don't understand the real thing. That is, if you just think of ultimate being as whatever it is that was responsible for the fact that something exists rather than nothing at all, you will immediately face a wall and you can't seem to get past that. At least I never met anyone who could. So it's not to be understood, but it can, the, the ultimate being can be approached through, imaginatively through metaphor. We can at least figure out how we feel about it. The over-Godhead, it satisfies me not, oh, I read that, what folk of God would tell. The over-Godhead is my life and light as well. Maker proclaiming it, let there be light. But before the first making, nothing had been but what no language might ever portray. Heaven and earth in creation, the Lord would show forth as creator. Being itself would expand even as dawn into day. Kabbalist lore would explain that the boundless, the Lord, ere the making, before creation, always will be the beyond, 
never by mortal be thought. Even indeed in the infinite splendor of worlds we're beholding hides the progenitor strength, faintly reflected tis caught. Fullness of being forever increasing is God the creator. Those he imagining made emulate one whom they love. God Stradivari had needed perfection's own partner in crafting sweet violins that would hint vaguely the maker above. How to arouse in your soul, O aspiring creator, the power worthily beauty to serve, such as our lover would please? Think of the boundless, the primal unspeaking beyond that's uncaptured. Drown in the deepness within. This, the creative one, free. Oh, this is very interesting. This one is called The Spiritual Mary. You know, the Muslims love to talk about Mary. They believe that she was a virgin. This Quran says so. And they believe further that Jesus was the Christ, that is, the Messiah. In fact, the more you learn about, Judy, about, about Islam, you wonder, does this not have a large resemblance to the Catholic faith? Well, it does. The spiritual Mary, here's, a, here's his poem that he wrote. Myself must Mary be, and God from me I'll bear, if he eternally his blessedness may share. And then Rilke, Rilke, a lot of people pronounce it Rilke. Have you heard of him? He's very famous, the best German-speaking poet of uh, the modern period. He wrote this, the deepest you that towered high, I rock you as a child with verses. So the point of these kinds of thinking is to, uh, to uh, get beyond the limitations of God the Father. God the Father is a metaphor. God isn't a man. And we can go on from there. There are many other things that he isn't. And related all to Father. So God is a Father, we heard, that he now is our child, we are learning. Godness, sorry, godliness ripens within. Let yourself, Mary-like, know. Don't apparitions in heaven expect, but with merit be earning that which inside you gives life as it continues to grow. Let not the pains of the labor dismay you that soon are arriving. These in Quran are described. Mary would rather have died so she declared. Actually, it's the most exciting thing in the Quran. Uh, Mary is, has such dreadful, unbearable labor pains trying to bring Jesus into this world. So she says, you know, it would have been far better if I'd never been born and had to go through this. Mary would rather have died, so she declared, but a miracle nourishment aided her striving. She to her mission was true. Tempting despair, she denied. Rumi contends that we each are a Mary. The pains we are facing must be endured, though they be still more disturbing than hers. Woes we decline mean our Jesus potential can never be gracing life with eternity's gift. Boldly accept what occurs. So the lesson is be Mary and get ready for labor pains and the very worst kind. 
Rilke would like to imagine the god as a child whom he's rocking, lulling the baby to sleep, quietly chanting a verse, letting the spirit, made grateful, sink down and rise high while he's talking, praying the child might his heart in the eternal immerse. Oh, this is fun. It's called Forget the Somethings. It sounds fu very funny in English, but that's what the German says. Das etwas muss man lassen. Forget the somethings. Friend, if you something love, you're loving nothing. True. God isn't this or that. Forget the somethings, you. Bard, you are singing the feeling that now I am reading it fills me. Nor is it rare, for it stays often and strongly and long, readying hands and the heart. An unshadowed totality thrills me. Nerves and the blood are at work, flooding my spirit with song. There's a completeness, and too, an awaiting of what is approaching. Rhythm is ready, and you, coming to help me, will know whether a rhyming's required, and if so, you will offer the coaching. What will the patterning be? Aid to the flow and the glow. Water and light in the eye may combine in a crying and smiling. Strength elemental propels mental with thought of beyond. Bra breeze in the treetops. The earth fragrant air is retiring, resiling. Mind is in love, is alive, momently fainting, so fond. Nothing we love is confining. We're wedding the endless to measure. All of the somethings are one. How overpowers the why? Which is the rhyme for my writing? What's treasure will rise from our pleasure? Heaven is Eden, is here. Pray, take a mouthful of sky. You have time for another? One more. Okay. Uh, this is called From Death Comes Life. The man of wisdom, since a thousand times he dies, will thousand lives be wooing by the truth of skies. And then under that, I wrote a remark from a famous English poet that he wrote in his friend's uh, album. William Blake, born 28th November 17. 57 in London and has died several times since. Why should a wise man a myriad times be desiring to perish? Death of the self one may want. Heart showing goal of largesse. So will the Sufi laud ultimate poverty, willing to cherish nothing but giving alone, love in one's being to bless. Feeling that one has offended a friend is a burden, a trial. Better the metaphor, die, ego, let heart be reborn. So we impress on the selfhood the art and the skill of denial, saying, forgive me, is brave, spirit is hailing the morn. Often in dealing with people, I'm helped by apology thinking. Ego compelled to be still, Weakening pride for a while, feeling the world become wider, 
the wine of my freedom I'm drinking. Breathing is deeper. The sky heightens. We climb. We resile. Death, though more forceful than metaphor, differs but little from shedding skin as a snake in the spring will for a kind of rebirth. That is the lesson we need, fellow pilgrims. Wherever we're heading, self-resurrected, we've learned wisely an emblem of worth. For the third section, uh, I have chosen an Islamic mystic. And uh, uh, as Tom over there uh, uh, has been uh, reading, what he's been reading is a book of mine that ties in very well. Uh, actually, two books, which are all based uh, upon responses to passages I read in the Quran. That also makes you think, and it stimulated me night after night for months to write poems about these scriptural passages. I don't know of anybody else in the world who, not being raised Muslim, did this with the Quran. And not only that, but I have a third one on my computer waiting to be printed. The same procedure. It's like a fortune teller. I open the Quran at random and I see what I, uh, I, see what I find. If I like it, I write a poem about it. If I don't, I look at another page. Now, my uh, choice of mystic teacher and poet in this book uh, called God the All-Imaginer, Wisdom of Sufi Master Ibn Arabi in 99 Modern Sonnets, uh, is uh, a man named Ibn Arabi. He's got a much longer name, but that's the way he's usually referred to. And he is a medieval commentator on Sufi teaching. And he is extremely original. I cited already his notion that uh, God is a melancholy lover and should be thought of as our King Solomon. And we are the lady love who is, to whom, whom he is courting in the Song of Songs. I have, by the way, another book where I have versified the whole Song of Songs for modern singers in English meters that you will like with rhymes too. Okay, now uh, Ibn Arabi is best known as a commentator, not as a poet, but he's a very good poet. And I want to show you a short excerpt from one of his poems. This one is endlessly reprinted because maybe it's the most stirring thing he ever said. It's called Boundless Love. My heart could any form at all put on. A scholar cloister, meadow with gazelle, a pagan temple, pilgrim Kaaba spell, the Torah tablet, the revered Quran. I hold to love's religion. Where his steed may turn, I ride, and love permit to lead. He gets on the horse of love and says, go where you think best. And that's his religion, he says. Now he's open to visitors who can teach him things and whom he can come to love. And so, uh, actually I have given my poems rather un unusual titles, uh, they often remind me of the parables of Jesus. Equal, I think, to in quality also, not just similar in form. And uh, so I call this one, Ibn Arabi tells of angels. He starts with the idea of the three angels that came to visit Abraham in, in the Hebrew scriptures to tell him that although his wife was over 90, I think his wife was 90 and he was over 100, they were going to have a baby boy. 
And of course, she laughed out loud, and everybody she told it to laughed out loud. So they named their boy Isaac, or Yitzchak, which means he laughed. Three angels came, and Abraham, their mortal host, provided them with nourishment. And thus will do the human following Quran advice. Return unto your Lord, for any God that we may know is angel, radiant embodiment at most of hidden being. And he'll come, inviting you to know yourself in him revealed, resurgent learn through more transcendings of the one concealed, and grow as angel forms at every stage to you appear, whom you have earned the right to view in what they will more deeply, highly manifest. No striving ends the messenger's succession of transcendent friends. Let one who's never known through finite vision skill be welcomed in the guest. Your name today you'll hear. Now, <laughs> that refers to the Sufi doctrine that the 99 names of God mentioned in the Quran are also our names because the Quran says that Adam knew the names not only of the animals, but in the Quran he also knew all the names of all the angels and he recited them. And according to Sufi teaching, the names of the angels are the 99 qualities of God. Now, there are no, in, in Sufi mysticism, there are no, there is no possible name of God. God is the beyond. God is the ultimate being that cannot be known and therefore cannot be named. So how did he get 99 names? Well, they are not names, strictly speaking. They are rubrics of qualities. And there, it's, a, it's a popular uh, Muslim meditation technique to go through the 99 and imagine how you could carry out the quality, each quality in the list. And as you go through the names, you count the, you, you, you keep track of your progress with, a, with an Islamic Sufi rosary. Okay. Oh, I like this very much. I don't think this needs any commentary. Ibn Arabi tells of light and wind. One who unveiling underwent was terrified, returned, and trembled, shaken. So I scolded him. You feared the quenching of what lordliness you had. Let one who wants to be illumined rather come without a glory torch of magnifying pride. At most, a wick unlit, or twig a smolder, dim. So mighty wind may fan a glimmer, make it glad. The cresset, the flambeau, the torch is quelled, but halidom of breath will make a tiny votive candle grow. The heat of high resolve, well-based, will be enough. Inflamed by this, a quiet warmth in servant will, the waiting one, beloved of the God, may fill. The prostrate grasses wait, wind gusty, blustering, rough, invigorates, not breaks them, bent, who pray below. You know about the Muslim prostration, you've seen them spread out on the floor. Well, I like to compare that to the, 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 the long grasses that the wind sweeps to the ground when it rushes past.
Oh, this is fun too. Ibn Arabi tells of tasting. Ibn Arabi didn't read a whole lot of philosophy. He did like to read Plato because he says, Plato is the man who really seems to me to have tasted a lot of experiences in life. Whereas the other thinkers mostly talk abstractions. You have to live before you can uh, you get around to that, which is stage two. Reflection adds to tasting, no sensation new. Yet when you eat an apple, every bite you take from every other bite may have a different taste. You'll feel that tasting, drinking, quenching are the three degrees or waking stages of unveiling. View, friend, messenger, and prophet. Wine with these will make three knowing levels, though the friend may well be graced with all of them. A man who tastes a calm may be, though hungry, yet from any agitation free, while one who's never tasted of tranquility might lack the patient skill to wait, although aware that someone will his dinner very soon prepare. The food is brought, yet he's no calmer than the one who's confident that God will let the blessing come. One more? I'll read this one. This is perhaps one of the most important or valuable religious poems you could ever read from anybody, I think. And so it's a nice one to end with. Ibn Arabi tells of the cup. Junaid said, water will the cup's own color take. The essence of the real cannot be named or known. It has to be made manifest. I gladly drink what my preparedness had made me thirsty for. My character and nature, and the use I make of what has happened, what I'm given, how, I'm, how I've grown, will shape the cup that holds what I suppose I think. Yet water into endless vessel kinds he'll pour. Manat, Allat, and Al-Uzah, the females three, mentioned in the Quran, who each had been considered once a deity, and are condemned for the reason that they are not, in fact, God, Allah, were thus a triple apparition of the real. The face of God is everywhere, but he has made all things in measure in the hues of names arrayed. From colored cup we drink what we in spirit feel. In other words, in a, few, a couple of plain uh, Binghamton, New York uh, pro, uh, prose sentences, Religion, this, a, religion, a myth, a symbol, an image, a tradition, they're all cups to hold the water of spirit. They give the water of spirit a color and a shape, but they are not the water of spirit. Thank you.